Supply Posse, it's Kim. Today's guest is another one that I came across on Instagram. I'm loving Instagram just lately for bringing new people to to the picture, at least for me and maybe even for you listeners. Um, look, it's it's great for finding people, but of course it's nice to then stumble across someone's work and then scroll through their you know, scroll through their grid or whatever you want to call it, their feed, their thing, and see all this work and then suddenly go, right, okay, I need to reach out to this person. I need to ask them if they'd like to be part. And luckily for us, uh, today's guest said yes, which is always a nice thing. They don't always, of course, but I love it when they do. Um, so our guest today is Mary K.D. DeRosio. Hi, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Hello. So nice of you to uh, take time out. Um, I really do appreciate it. So um, I'm going to start with the first question, maybe the big question, maybe the most important question. Who exactly is Mary? Well, um, I work in the pharmaceutical industry. And a few years ago, after having a decline in my health and finding the three-story townhouse that I was living in no longer reasonable, I moved into an Airstream travel trailer and have been working from home, as you might say, Mm -hmm. as I've been traveling around the United States in uh, my Airstream, a very small one for about five years. And I just moved into a much larger one. That is so, there's so many things that come to my brain when you say that. I'm like, (gasps) so I want to, if we step back five years, how do you, I, you know, obviously the, I'm assuming the move the, or the decision to at least sell the home you were in to start with before you moved, I'm assuming that was to do with, with, your, um, with the health problems that were going on and, and, and things like that. But before we get to that, how on earth do you decide what to keep? How, when I look around at all the things that I own, how do you narrow that down? How do you go, this thing has to stay with me? All of this can go. First of all, I did it really fast. And people said to me, why are you doing this so quickly? But I had seen other people intend to move into an RV or intend to downsize in some way and not be able to get rid of their things. And there are a few things. Maybe if I had done it slower, I would have kept a particular thing. Mm-hmm. But it's really a matter of ripping off the Band-Aid because it's it's not that it doesn't hurt. It, it does hurt getting rid of things that you love. Mm-hmm. Um And I did fill up a very large storage locker all the way to the ceiling the first year. And then after one year, I had a professional who helps like elderly people move into nursing homes, Uh go through everything with me and get rid of a lot of stuff. And I I still do have a a storage locker, but smaller one. That's an incredible idea because... They do that for a living. So I guess they're going to look at things with no attachment like you would have to it all. That's a really good move. Well, and the other thing is just being disabled, just the action of opening all of those boxes is hard for me. So to, he was used to having somebody just set, he opens the boxes, he shows you what's in the boxes and deals with it. Yeah, nice. So I'd imagine, did you give the things away? Did you sell them? Like what sort of was that process? So I had had one forced downsize before in my life when I was much younger. And I found out at that time that trying to sell things, it it slows that process down. It's even more painful and difficult. And so I mostly just gave things away. I didn't uh, sell very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's, that keeps in the theme of speed too. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. Okay, so you made the decision, you got rid of most of the things, you're living the RV life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How was that adjustment from being in one location all the time to being where on earth ever, well, kind of, obviously, within the continent of South America, I'm guessing we're not going to put it in the, in the, in the ocean and, you know, head on over. But, like, how, how does that, how did that affect the way you worked, for one thing? So work didn't change very much, uh-huh. but the kind of stimulation that I was bringing into my life changed a lot because at this point I was disabled. It was very hard for me to get out into the community And so I was living a very isolated life in suburbia, whereas now I was living in RV parks, seeing people outside all the time because people in RV parks want to talk to other people and having a view out my window that changed all the time. And when I first moved into the RV, I had had some fits and starts at starting at art over the years. I've Mm -hmm. done a little bit of painting for a few months and then I'd quit And when I moved into the RV, I brought one set of watercolor uh, paints and they sat in the RV for more than two years without me using them. Wow. And then one day I picked them up and (laughs) it it stuck uh, this time. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess you weren't ready. Yeah. (laughs) There was a lot of other things going on. Before uh, my illness, I was uh, doing half marathons and triathlons for a while I had a job that I was a road warrior I was building my career so yeah I was very distracted in doing other things Um, yeah so can can we touch on that because if that's okay with you um so I think I think if I've done my research right you have myalgic encephalitis is that right yeah so I've had a a few illnesses that have gathered together and brought about that situation and some other things. So Mm -hmm. I have fatigue. I can't walk very far. Um, not just because of the fatigue, but because of some other problems, Mm -hmm. I can't, um, hold up my arms to work at an easel. So I was just very limited and living in suburbia. I was very, very limited, but now I can get in my car and you know, I, in the United States, we have um, federal lands that you can uh-huh. park on for free for up to two weeks. Oh, nice. So I've parked at the top of mountains in Colorado that I could not walk up at this point in my health. I could not access any other way, but I can go up there with my RV. I can park in the woods. I can, um, you know, paint yeah. and see these beautiful things right out my window. That's incredible. I realized then my next question I want to ask is sort of slightly off topic because it's not really art related, but I'm curious to know as somebody who has lived with a disability in suburbia and now has, I guess, if is freedom the right word, he, he now moves around because of what RV life gives you. What, what do you think like it? And it, it, obviously it's what we think and what we want and what's actually going to happen in reality are different things, but it might. So it might help people see things and think about things a little differently who aren't um, disabled at all. How do you think or what should change in suburbia to, like, can it can suburbia be different in a way so as it's not quite so isolating for people? Or is that too much for us to ask for? Like, because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm an able-bodied person. I just don't know why I said obviously, but I did. Sure, I shouldn't have done that. But, like, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, are we taking things too much for granted? What should we be more aware of? One of the things that's getting more popular in the U.S. are these mixed-use developments, they call them, where mm-hmm. there are some apartments or condos over a shopping district area. You go downstairs, you're in town, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas in the past, people, you know, not the past past, but really only the past 50 years or so, people yeah. live in suburbia and then you go to town and they're too separate things. And if you're disabled or don't have access to transportation or you don't even have to be disabled, if you don't have the money for transportation, it really limits your ability to have those kinds of interactions. That's, um, that's an incredible thing. I hadn't even thought of that. I'd thought of the, if you can't afford to travel, it's great to have because some there are newer developments here in Australia as well, and I know they're being talked about a lot more where they're doing that thing of you know having a, a apartment complex or whatever it is, and then uh, underneath you know at the base, the bottom, they've retail and 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 you know food and things. And I hadn't actually thought of it from the disabled aspect, so I, I'm glad that there are things are slowly changing. I mean, obviously we we would like them to change a lot quicker than they do, but I guess. You know, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's, that's beyond the scope of us and our, our art thought. But it, it is, I just think it's important to sort of think about these things, especially when they don't, you know, we may not be the ones experiencing them. It doesn't mean we can't have the empathy for others who are. One of the things people bring up is that a lot of people say their best time in life was when they were in college. Mm-hmm. And when they were in college, they were living that community of having everything in one place that they could easily move from one area to another, um, their work, so to speak, their going to school, where they live, where they shop, all in one central area. And these mixed-use communities have that. But mm-hmm. also, to a certain extent, the shopping's not necessarily there, but RV parks have that. Yeah. Where you live and where you socialize is the same thing. Yeah. So... I'm interested to know, so your RV life, are you, do you just decide, like, have you got some kind of like big plan of, I want to, I don't know, go to these particular places in a, you know, within a year, or do you just wake up one day and decide, all right, I'm over here, I'm now heading off here. Like, how do you decide where you're going when you decide to move on from one park to another? Well, the pandemic really threw a wrench in things because (laughs) My life got a lot more difficult um, since I am fairly cautious because of my health. And mm-hmm. so for the past couple of years, I've been living in mostly one place in an RV park, which was never my intention of how this was going to go. But that, mm-hmm. that's what happened. Before that, um, my first year with the RV, I wintered in Florida, which was part of how this all happened. I was trying to find a way to winter in Florida. And I mm-hmm. couldn't afford to buy another apartment in Florida or anything like that. I had seen fields of RVs in Florida. I started looking on YouTube. I found out people live in RVs. And after like three days of watching YouTube, I decided I was buying an RV and selling my house. (laughs) (laughs) And actually the RV I live in now is one of the YouTubers I was watching then. Oh, really? Oh, that's just, I love it. Oh, that's cool. Um, And uh, actually I just came in where I am tonight and the people next door like to watch YouTube and they knew this RV from having watched. Oh my goodness. So you've got a famous RV now. Look at this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's, that's fun. But before the pandemic, so my first year I, I I went to Florida for the winter and then I wanted to go uh, see my dad on the West coast. 
So I drove across the country. I was in no particular hurry. I went to California. I drove back almost entirely not on freeways. So Ah. staying off freeways, figuring out each day where I was going to end up by the end of the day. Um, And that was, that was my first year. And that was then the book, the Airstream that ran away with the spoon. Mm -hmm. And then the second year, again, I went down to Florida for the winter and I wanted to go vaguely North. So I ended up at the great lakes in New York Mm -hmm. and then, and I just sort of meandered my way up there. It took a few months. And then when it was time to go back to Florida, I went a lot faster. (laughs) (laughs) So looping back to deciding to pick up those, uh, that, that watercolor paints again, after a couple of years, did you just stumble across them and think, oh, I'll get these out? Or was it a kind of planned decision? Like how, how did you go from, because obviously you're, you're driving and you're working, but there is, I'm going to guess, a bit more downtime when, when you're living in an RV. So how did you decide that, all right, I'm going to bring art into my life again? Well, part of what changed was before I was sick, I read a great deal. Mm -hmm. And now with my brain troubles, my reading time is my work time. And reading as a downtime activity, really anything with words is pretty limited. Mm -hmm. So I was bored for one thing because I couldn't just turn on the TV because it made my brain hurt. I couldn't read a book. Mm -hmm. So I had these paints and I was going to a 4th of July parade with a friend. And I took the paints. The reason I had this idea to take the paints was because I have fountain pens. And I was very into the fountain pen community on Instagram, which overlaps with people who do, you know, a sketch a day kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they inspired me to want to go do a sketch of real, real life. So I took the paints and a pen and I sketched this parade. And that was sort of the start of everything you went uh you went from nothing to oh my goodness could you have picked anything more difficult (laughs) and um when I'm out in large areas like a parade I use a mobility scooter which the little steering thing on a mobility scooter is called the tiller Mm -hmm. and it is a when when you turn off the mobility scooter so you don't accidentally hit any buttons it is an excellent place to set down some watercolor supplies. Oh, nice. I do like when that happens. <laughs> it's got a couple of uses. This is great. So do you find, because I'd imagine sketching plein air, I mean, it's always it's always that thing of are people watching me, you know, um, or do people not even pay any attention because really they don't when it's all said and done. Most people don't even you know they look at what's in front of them and that's about it but how do you go when you're out particularly like at a somewhere so public like a parade because there's just in my mind you say the word parade and I just think of hundreds of hundreds of people how do you find that experience of making art while that's going on like are people stopping and saying what are you doing why are you doing this or are people just literally not paying you any attention anyway I've never had anybody pay any attention to me painting (laughs) But it's an interesting question you ask. I hadn't thought about this this way before, but I will tell you, the when I got the mobility scooter, I needed to use it for a work conference. Yep. And I didn't want to show up at this work conference having never used my mobility scooter before, right? Uh-huh. So I was going to like take it to a museum, something like that. 
but I could not get myself to go out in public with this mobility scooter. Um, because you know, people would stare, does she really need one? All those things disabled people ask themselves. And I've now walked several of my elderly friends because RVing has a lot of elderly people Mm -hmm. through the steps of getting out there for the first time with their mobility scooter. So I will say that may have cured me of being worried that people were going to stare at at me because I did show up at that conference having never used my my mobility scooter because I had not had the guts to go out in public with my mobility scooter. Please tell me that conference went okay. Please tell me you didn't do anything. (laughs) Again, because of YouTube, because I had seen other people post videos of how to open doors and, you know, all the things you need to know how to do. Oh, what would we do without YouTube at this point? (laughs) Oh, that's incredible. And it's funny, isn't it? Because, and it's not just... There is so much that we tell ourselves that is just not true. Like you've said to yourself, oh, my goodness, I can't get this scooter. I can't go out in public with it because people will pay attention. Lo and behold, most people don't just pay any attention to anything but literally themselves and so often the phone that's in front of them, right? And we all do it. Like I know the first time I thought about going out in public, so to speak, and sketching I was like, oh, people are going to stare at me and they're going to, you know, think of who is this weird. Not a single person said a thing. No, no, nobody, you know, people just don't pay attention. But we get so caught up in the what ifs and the maybes and, you know, that sort of thing. And they can hold us back, right? Like, oh, we, I, yeah, it's it's just incredible what our mind tells ourselves and what can not happen if we listen to it. Yeah. Thinking about your art practice, how how do you find that changes? Because if you're moving to a different location, does that make you change what your art is? Like are you sort of feeling, I don't know, feeling the location as you as you create? Does that make sense? Like are you going, okay, well, I'm somewhere different and now there's mountains where there was just flat ground where I was before. Like does that change? impact your art or influence your art, I guess is a better word. So I ended up not painting landscapes as much because I'm not good at it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's um, not, not enjoyable. It's frustrating. I tend to yeah. paint a lot from free internet resource pictures. I have a very large monitor here um, for my job. And so I can put up a picture and, and paint right here. I Part of it is there's a limit. There's kind of a time limit, both between my health and the moving, because I have to put everything away. And when I was living mm-hmm. in the much smaller RV, just to make dinner, I had to put everything away. It was a 100 square feet space mm-hmm. that I was yeah. living in. So I had to art and then completely clean up every time. And that was what moved me away from watercolor a bit because I got better at watercolor and I wanted everything to be a good painting, so to speak. It was, it got to be very hard for me to do a quick, fun painting. And the other thing I developed was an acquisitiveness, acquisitionist (laughs) problem (laughs) of buying paints, which is part of truly is part of why I ended up moving to a larger RV. Um, (laughs) It is because of art supplies. I 
I would have done better staying in a smaller <laughs> RV if I didn't have quite so many art supplies. And if <laughs> you see on my Instagram, one of the things that I'm using a lot right now are the Neocolor One crayons mm-hmm. because I'm not, I can't make anything great with them. I've seen people make great things with them, but I can't. So it's going to be a sketch. So yeah. it's going to be something that I'm going to finish in one sit down. And there's like 40 colors. Mm-hmm. You can't buy any more. That, that's it. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like those a, a lot because of, of that. And I went through a charcoal phase mm-hmm. kind of for the same reason. Mm-hmm. There's only so much charcoal in the world. <laughs> Correct. I actually haven't used them. What do they like to use? You tell all because I, I've I've wanted to check them out. I have yet to buy them for no reason other than just haven't. What do they like to the use? The Neocolor one? Yeah. So they're just, um, I mean, they're wax crayons like you used when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that that's great. And yeah. you can only layer them so much and it starts getting very mushy. But... There's a product called Dorland's Wax Medium mm-hmm. that I think oil painters use it. I don't oil paint. Some watercolorists do a layer of it on their watercolor instead of um, glass. They wax their watercolors. Mm-hmm. Well, it also melts crayon. Ah. So it's a wax with a, um, I can't think of the right word, a melty stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um and and so you can use it on your crayon to sort of uh, blend and such your, your crayon paintings. Yeah, right. That sounds really cool. So are you finding <laughs> with lots of art supplies, storage must be your thing, right? Like have you nailed yeah. storage or have you got art supplies just like in every nook and cranny? <laughs> there, so there is art supplies in every nook and cranny, yes. Um, Yes, there, there are. There, you know, there's a spot in the kitchen next to the spices where a particular art supply fit. And so it's down in there, which I'm not sure what the health and safety people would have to say about that. But yeah, okay. is, I, I'm not good at um, dry pastels, mm-hmm. but I was able to, some a retiring artist sold me their entire collection for a very affordable price. So I have oh. a large amount of dry pastels and I divided them by color family into small uh, plastic boxes. So I can arrange out these plastic boxes, work with them, put them all away. Those wooden boxes that are more popular, there's mm-hmm. just not any room for me to set something like that out. And I think a lot of pastel artists that use that many pastels you know they stand up they work at measle they reach back and forth and i am not able to do that so these little boxes i can sort of arrange close to me Mm -hmm. as i'm going so on that subject how do you how do you how have you adapted to work for yourself so you know you've said standing at an easel is not a thing so what's kind of it's hard because this is an audio medium not a visual medium but like how do you how have you got yourself set up or how what's your ideal sure. setup for being able to art for as long as you want to or as long as you can at any given okay, time? Okay, so remember that the health and safety people aren't necessarily gonna love my storage. They're um, not listening. <laughs> wait just wait till you find out how I art. Uh is totally 
not advisable. Um, I have my large image on my screen and mm-hmm. then I use my laptop computer as an easel. I do. <laughs> Someday good. something very bad is going to happen. <laughs> when I use pastels or charcoal, I put a layer of saran wrap over the keyboard so it doesn't get down into the keys. And with liquids, it's just my my best efforts and something bad is going to happen someday. But that way I, I can tape my whatever I'm working on to a board. Mm-hmm. And if it is a pastel, I make a channel out of uh, tin foil that goes on the bottom of the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that. And that way I can have the board upright against my mon against my screen on my laptop for that sort of drafting in that you need to get the perspective right and such. And then I can bring it down flatter, um, kind of more where one would use the keyboard um, to work. And so I work mostly at a very slight angle, probably at where most people would have their keyboard. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, look, health and safety aside, it works for you, right? <laughs> maybe maybe what you need is um, a dead laptop, like one that just cannot work at right. all. An already and broken laptop. And it does not you matter what. what one of, I have a laptop that mostly broke and I put it in my storage locker and that's what I should have done. I should have kept it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you need, you need that for, yeah, yeah. No, you need to get that and uh, do it that way, please. <laughs> Just please. I don't want to hear that you've, like, injured yourself. <laughs> I couldn't do No, yeah, we need to, yeah, you need to get that one out of storage. <laughs> so what sort of size surface are you working on? Are we talking laptop size are we talking smaller right so this is the other issue with living in an airstream and i i almost got in an argument on a facebook art group once because people kept not i was asking a question about storage and people like would not believe me about how little space i had and they're like well anybody can do this anybody can store this way i'm like no i live in a hundred square feet (laughs) i cannot you know put it behind the couch or whatever so I mostly only work eight and a half by 11 or smaller mm-hmm. because yeah, that's the space I've got. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, I give away that. things. I have a bunch of mailing supplies here and I mail things to, um, I have a couple of friends who make cards for people in nursing homes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they cut up a lot of my paintings and use them to make cards and stuff. So You, you answered my next question because then I was going to say, well, what are you doing with it all? Because it's all well and good to make it, but when your room yeah. is limited, where is it going? <laughs> and I can't stand to throw away anything of my own. So I yeah. just mail it all out to friends and I say, put it on your fridge for a week and then throw it in the trash. That's fine. <laughs> just... Don't make me throw in the trash. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. But do you keep anything? Are you keeping some stuff for yourself? Have you got uh, like I I have like one thing, um, a, a sort of a tragic moment in this story. Uh, in 2020, my boyfriend of 11 years um, died suddenly of a stroke. And I painted him, and it turned out very well, a, a, a watercolor. And I ended up making prints of it and giving it to some of his family members. And I have the original framed in my storage locker because, (laughs) but I did keep that one um, painting, but that's, 
that's pretty much it. And, and paintings I've given to friends, you know, some of them did not go in the trash if they were better paintings. Some of them are on my friend's walls, which um, I painted um, a painting of my cousins. Um, they'd done a very, one of those moment in times photos where for Mother's Day, it was the pandemic. The daughters are all spaced out in the background of this photograph and the mother is in the front you know, nobody anywhere near each other at this Mother's oh. Day gathering uh, early in the pandemic. And I was painting it and one of the daughters um, passed away suddenly. Oh. So I finished the painting after a long time. I didn't have enough guts to put the faces on and such for a while. But one day I worked up my courage and <laughs> finished this oh. painting and, um, you know, sent it uh, to the, the mother of this family who loves it very much and has it up in her house. So, uh, so some of these paintings have ended up being saved by, by other people. That are, there, that's a couple of instances of awful tragedies, horrific things happening. And yet there is a lovely memory of that with, within that artwork. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's one of those things which, you know, good, bad, or whatever, we make art and sometimes it can not just touch ourselves but, you know, do good things for other people, which is really, really special. Yeah, and so there's one a painting I want to do right and I took a bunch of reference pictures and we'll see what I can do. Um, I'm in the midst of driving to California to see my dad from mm -hmm. North Carolina. I haven't seen him the entire pandemic. And the, my first day of the trip, I broke a major safety item on my trailer. And I ended up in this farmer's field. And uh, I, you know, the farmer came out and I told her, I'm going to get a tow truck. I'll get out of your field. Right <laughs> <away."> <laughs> I'm so sorry. And she said, no, it's fine. You can stay. Um, so I stayed about a week. And then I found out this part I'd ordered, I needed to order another part. So I had to go tell her, you know, I'm so sorry, I've got to stay even longer. Um, or, or I will call a tow truck and I will get, I will go somewhere else. I will go to a campground. And so I was so embarrassed to tell her and, and I'm imposing on her. And as soon as I told her, I think I need to stay longer. She said, we've got to find a way to get you some electricity. Which oh, wow. was her reply. And then one of her, when the parts did come in, um, one of her neighbors put it all together, for, fixed it for me. Just for wow. free, just fixed it. So her house was out my window this whole 11 days. I was stuck at her farm. Um, mm -hmm. So I took a bunch of pictures. I'm hoping to do a, a good painting of her house for her. That's nice. Yeah, that that's a that's a really lovely thing. Like, and it's a nice way to pay back her generosity and her good faith. Um, and I'm sure she would be delighted by it, regardless of whether you think it's, you know, good enough. And, again, I think that's some of that of ourselves telling ourselves, right, that it's not going to be good enough and it's never going to be right and this, that and the other. Well, I think in some I've cases I've noticed in Internet art, and I'll, I'll be curious what your opinion on this is, I feel like photorealism gets rewarded in a huge way and art does. that has a little more... I don't know, personality, individuality, um, doesn't as much. And I'll see things other people did that is nowhere near photorealistic. It's, it's their own mind mm -hmm. and I'll love what they did. But if I did something like that, you know, I think it looks like a third grader did it. Right. Yeah. But then I give it to people and they like it. <laughs> it's, 
It's so it's incredible, and and you're you're reminding me that I I need to put together a panel of guests that have been on, and and perhaps you might even have the time slash be interested in it. I want to talk to people about this thing of I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I certainly do. I'll be it's quite often part way through something going making but sometimes it is right at the end when I am finished and I cannot stand it I think it's the worst thing I've ever made and I look at it and I'm like what am I doing I've just wasted time art supplies the whole thing week later or something I'll look at it again and suddenly be like oh that's actually quite fine like what are, what are we doing there what is this it's just this weird thing and I, I assume it's we have an expectation of what we should be making right like it should be this good and it's not, or I don't know, it's just a weird thing. But it, I, I completely agree with you on the photorealism thing. And it's fascinating too because I really like to make um, abstract. That's my probably my favourite thing. And quite often it, it, it is, yeah, people would say, oh, my third grader could do that, right? Maybe they could. I mean, cool. But at the end of the day, I was happy making it I enjoyed making it. I get like kind of a therapy, I guess, out of it. It makes me feel good as I'm doing it. And that's all that matters. But I know if I was to put that next to someone who did something photorealistic, the attention goes to that because it's more, it looks like something. Whereas what I'm doing quite often doesn't look like anything but a bunch of color. The abstract isn't given the same, I suppose, credit as the photorealistic thing and really it shouldn't I mean to me the way I see it I see art is like art should just be whatever you want to make right if Mary's happy to draw people for the rest of her life well you're happy doing that then that should be enough but this whole thing of judgment that people have and I don't know about you but I know a lot of it comes or I feel like a lot of it comes from people that actually don't make art right they might they might observe it they might enjoy it but they're not doing it themselves it's not necessarily as easy as, you know, drawing some lines and some circles and throwing down color. Well, and and also the the Instagram social media thing. I'm sure I know some people, especially people who are making money, who it's their job. You know, they need mm. to create a certain image, and so they're just going to show their best work mm. and not necessarily everything that's gone wrong. If I yeah. draw something, I post it. If I paint mm-hmm. something, I post it. There's been a couple things that are just so bad they went in the trash, but for the most part, I post it. Actually, <laughs> here's a funny story about something so bad it went in the trash. One <laughs> of these relatives that makes cards um, mm-hmm. for people, and it was actually the the daughter of my relative, uh, the one who died is, is the person I'm talking about. I used to send her paintings to make cards. And I had a painting of some jellyfish that I thought, this is so bad, it's not even for a card. And I threw it in the trash. And then I was putting together this package to send her. And I was like, yeah, she, she might do something with it. Mm-hmm. And I, so I took it out of the trash. And I put it in the package. And uh, then she died. And her uh, family was putting up pictures on Facebook of different things in her house. And one of them said, oh, this painting looks so good. You did, Mary. And she had framed it very, matted it and framed it very nicely. And it was hanging in her bathroom. And it, it looked very nice when it was framed. <laughs> oh, there you go. See, art is subjective, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. If you had not have on the snap decision to pull that out of the trash, then, oh, honestly, it's just i got to love it. And it is just the thing, isn't it? We all, we all interpret things differently. We all connect to things differently. 
And, you know, I might see something and absolutely detest it, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not for me. Your arm might be in the wrong place. It it oh, yeah. looked so much better when it was framed. Yes, yes. Or it looks so much better online and then you get it in person sometimes and like, oh, that should have not, yeah, no. <laughs> so just you're currently crushing on these um these neo pastels was that what that's what they were yeah uh, neo color yeah. one is the ne- wax that's like a crayon and then neo color two which i have all of them because of my buying problem um <laughs> is the water soluble neo color that's right that's right so aside from that that love where else are you what else are you loving playing with it's it's really been the crayons uh lately um just because you know, and the box is small, like so. There's only forty yeah. of them. Yeah. Because uh, so, the Neo Color Two, there's like a hundred and forty, a hundred and seventy, something like that. <sighs> there's a lot. It's a big box. So those forty crayons, you can take. I can put them in my purse. Um, you know, I, I went on a date the other day, and the, the guy walked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should I laugh. My- Sorry, I should not be laughing, but I am. <laughs> and I had, and I was like, oh, I'm in this nice place. I've got my crayons. I've got a notebook. <laughs> so I, I had a painting and had dinner and had a good time. <laughs> What's that? When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's what you've just done, right? <laughs> That's his loss. <laughs> so, so then it's just always easy to have have out. And then I know if I'm going to get into my watercolor, it's going to be this big production because I'm. I do have a lot of ideas of things I want to watercolor, but. I'll get too precise about it. So, <laughs> and then I've just not been in my uh, charcoal phase. I've, I've got that because the charcoal is a nice little box too. Very small. Yeah. Yeah. But a little more I've messy than the wax crayons. Have you, have you used oil pastels? Yes. Um, I have, um, haven't quite. I, lo- I love, I love them. They're my favorite, but I have a lot of colors. So maybe that's not good for you because there's just too many colors. <laughs> <laughs> I have some amount of, of colors. I tend to end up, there's a couple things. One is I, I can't quite get the look I want out of them yet. I, mm-hmm. I um, So there's that, there's the frustration aspect. And then there's the ke- keeping them in this space. I've sort of, I have a, a book that I tend to use them with, and I usually leave it open a couple days to let it get as untacky as possible. And then I spray yeah. it with the, with the Sennelier um, spray, mm-hmm. but sort of slowly deteriorates. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I was thinking, and that's that's definitely like there's absolutely no way you can get into oil painting because, yeah, just no, it's just not going to work. Yeah, my my whole house would smell like. Oil. I thought about it though. I thought like, okay, I could I could dry my paintings in the truck because then I wouldn't be breathing them during the day. <laughs> Oh, the things we do. Isn't it funny? <laughs> Actually, I'm curious. Back to the just, I just thought of the fountain pen community you mentioned. Do you yes. use your fountain pens as well for art? Um, Not so much. I did more when I was doing some of that, Um, I guess you call it urban drawing like I did at the uh-huh. um, parade. So, but I haven't been into that kind of thing for a while. I would like to. I like that look of ink drawing and I have a couple of um waterproof inks that I could then paint over mm-hmm. but it just hasn't really been my my thing. I do use my fountain pens all the time. Um 
Yeah. I keep a notebook and write different things. And I have, when I lived in the small trailer, I could fit four of this particular kind of plastic bin under my bed, which was my biggest storage space. And I Mm -hmm. had two plastic bins full of fountain pen ink. Oh, wow. Now I have in this trailer as well. I have a ridiculous amount of space given to fountain pen ink for somebody who lives in 200 square feet. (laughs) Look, it makes you happy, right? (laughs) So I'm thinking because in some ways you you are living a lot of people's dream. There are a lot of people I would imagine who would just love to be working from home and their home is on the road. Mm -hmm. I I know it's something I've thought of from time to time. It's, you know, I know other people that have as well. So... (sighs) As someone who's doing it and who made that jump, who decided, yep, enough is enough, this is what I want to do, I mean, yeah, I guess the argument could be made part of it was because because of your disabilities, because of your health, but certainly that could also, those same reasons could be reasons to stop somebody from doing it as well. What advice could you say to someone? You know, it sounds to me like you've also done a lot of, you did, you made your jump quite quickly, you did it, you know, in, in three days or whatever, but like... You've also done some research. It sounds to me like you sort of, you know, you've looked at all sorts of things and you've worked out basically what works for you, at least what works for you right now because, of course, every, something could change tomorrow or, or, or whatever or next week you could decide, you know, that's it, I'm done with it. But, like, what sort of suggestions, what could you suggest to somebody who maybe is thinking about doing what you're doing? So, first of all, I absolutely love it and every time I think about, going back to a house. I just think the solution can't be going back to a house. (laughs) For one thing, I can't think of one place I'd want to live. Mm -hmm. Like there are some places where RV parks are pretty close to downtown. And when I was in the smaller RV, I had even more opportunities to be close to urban areas because I could park in people's driveways where it was legal. Yeah. So I have, I get to keep changing. So the idea of like committing to living in one city, I I can't even. (laughs) Um, I happened by luck to have developed a career where I had something that people would pay me to do that was home-based. Yeah. And, you know, if you can plan that, great. I didn't plan it. That was happenstance. Um, And that helped me with the disability because I cannot go into an office and work eight hours a day anymore. That is not Mm -hmm. something I can do. And so working from home one way or another was how it had has to be now. So, so that I had developed a career, you know, and, but at the same time, I want to say, oh, you can't be a welder and do this. And yet there are welders doing this. They are exactly right. Yeah. I met a guy in an RV park who was an electrician for a chain pharmacy. Every time they built one of those chain pharmacies, he went to wherever they were building it and he did stuff. Wow. And he lived in an RV. so cool. Or there's people who um, are disaster response people. Like after a hurricane, they evaluate cars for how destroyed they are or whatever. So there are so many jobs where people can live in an RV. So I can't even say, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that and live Mm -hmm. in an RV. I know a doctor who lives in an RV. Oh, really? Um, Wow. They're on um, Instagram and, and YouTube. She is an emergency room doctor who fills in. Uh, she now has a permanent job, but for a while she filled in at different jobs all around the country. Yeah. So 
everybody, I don't, I can't say that there's somebody who couldn't, I know somebody who is a salesperson at CarMax, which is a used car Mm -hmm. place in the U.S. And in the winter, she works in Florida and in the, uh, or pardon, yeah, in the winter, she works in Florida and in the summer, she works in Maine or something like that, going between two stores. So has worked it out living in in an RV and going back and forth. Yeah. there's so many options and how I figured things out was by watching YouTube because yeah. there's a lot of people on YouTube and a lot of the people who are on YouTube are making their money from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, that's exactly right. Like that's a whole nother stream of income. Yeah. You know? So that's only, so it doesn't necessarily give the full breadth because you know, the electrician isn't out making YouTubes. He's no. perfectly happy being an electrician and has his whole life dialed yeah. in doing that. Yeah. So the YouTube, our full-time RV community doesn't give the breadth of ideas that are mm. out there, but it does give a lot of information about the practicalities of how to live. Yeah. I think, I think one of the other things that has come to a lot of people since the pandemic is realizing that they don't have to be tied to an office job or a, nine to five job or whatever simply because that's what they were brought up to believe right like that's what their parents did their parents may have one or both or whatever went out somewhere left the home for the day worked come home did the thing like I think because of now that certainly not all but I know a lot of businesses have had to build um, flexibility in right they've had to go well we can't be open as a physical space but you have an internet connection at home we have an internet connector and at work and we can you know log into the servers or do whatever and I think it's I think a lot of people have realized that they can be more flexible even so much as if that means I'm just I'm just going to now get on the road and I'm doing my job in a completely different way. Like I, I think and in I'll, some ways that's a really good thing. And one piece of advice I got um, now, if you work for a company, it's slightly more complicated. But I'm a contractor. Mm-hmm. Was to not tell my clients I was on the road until I had been on the road for several months, because yeah. then it was I was on the road and you didn't even notice the difference. Yeah. And, I have clients that it's been more than five years and they still don't seem to realize that I live on the road. <laughs> I don't know where they think I live, um, but they don't seem to have realized I live in an RV. Mm-hmm. So, and it's helped because five years ago, living in an RV was just starting to become an acceptable thing to do in the US. Yes. Um, and so you tell your boss, and they'd be like, what? Whereas now it is a little more well known that that's a way people can live their lives. Well, I I would argue a lot of the times it doesn't really matter where you are, right? Like who cares that those people don't know where you live? Does it matter? It shouldn't matter. Seems to me like you're still doing the job. You're you're obviously still delivering. They haven't complained about a sudden lack of, you know, whatever on your part. Like you must still be doing the work if they don't even realise so what does it matter? Yeah. It's, it sounds really cool. You're making me now think that that's what I want to do. <laughs> Don't know how that's going to go down well, though, you know, like with my husband and my dogs and all the rest of it. But, hey, you know. <laughs> By the way, you joked about crossing the sea. Um, and oh, I no, haven't what? seen anybody from the U.S. go to Australia, but several U.S. people have gone to 
New Zealand. Really? Um, and the ones I've seen have gotten a local RV when they've gone to New Zealand. But yeah. people have also put their RV on a boat and taken it to Europe. Well, of course. I, <laughs> I should have realized I was not joking. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. And look, I have heard that too. And you hear the people that they sell up everything and then go to another country and then, yeah, they buy an RV there. And oh, I mean, it would be kind of cool, right? It'd be an interesting way to see the world. Yeah. Mary, this chat has been so much fun. Thank you so much for, for taking time uh, to talk with me. Is there anything else you feel like we haven't discussed that you sort of want to talk about? No, thank you for asking me. It was uh really fun conversation. And I, like I said, I noticed some things that I hadn't noticed before based on your questions. So, (laughs) Well, that's good, I think. (laughs) Yes. Oh, before before we finish up, can you let everybody know where they can find you online? So on Instagram, I'm loafing cactus. And uh, uh, my book, The Airstream That Ran Away With a Spoon, mm-hmm. is on Amazon. Cool. And you can read it for free if you have Kindle Unlimited. They still pay me. So that's no problem at all. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my main places that you would find me doing doing art kind of things. I don't really post about the RVing uh, the way some other people do because I am a woman traveling alone. So yes, there's just not yeah. really things I want to post about that no then that's fair enough too (laughs) because safety is priority thank you so much Mary this has just been a really good chat excellent well thank you for asking me